So, Lord willing, we'll be ma- able to make it through the chapter 2, verses 1 to 11 today. <clears throat> and I will, if we could get a volunteer to read chapter 2, that would be most appreciated. Dr. Steve, um, I'm going to bring you a paper. There you go. There you go. Um, Okay. If anyone else comes in. Oh, looks like you forgot to move the coffee out, huh, Elsa? It's all right, the crowd has dissipated. Yeah. Okay. Donna? Excellent. Okay, go ahead. You you might have to turn on the microphone. A voice. You gonna hold it? I'll start over. We take care of our elderly. I said in my heart, can you hear me? Yes. Come now, I will test you with mirth. Mirth? What's mirth? Happiness. Myrrh is like a, a spice kind okay. of, or oil. It says mirth. Right. Mirth she mirth? said myrrh. Okay. I'm sorry, I'll sort of work. It's quite all right. You probably don't want me to read because I'm always doing that. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with mirth, therefore enjoy pleasure. But surely this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is madness and of mirth. What does it accomplish? I searched in my heart how to gratify my flesh with wine while guiding my heart with wisdom and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the sons of men to do under heaven all the days of their lives. I made my works great. I built myself houses and planted myself vineyards. I made myself gardens and or- orchards. And I planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made myself water pools from which to water the growing trees of the grove. I acquired male and female servants and had servants born in my house. Yes, I had greater possessions of herds and flocks than all who were in Jerusalem before me. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the special treasures of kings and of the provinces. I acquired male and female singers, the delights of the sons of men, and musical instruments of all kinds. So I became great and excelled more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure. For my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my reward from all my labor. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had done, and on the labor in which I had toiled, and indeed all was vanity, and grasping for the wind. There was no profit under the sun. Then I turned myself to consider wisdom and madness and folly, for what can the man do who succeeds the king? Only what he has already done. Then I saw that wisdom excels folly, as light excels darkness. 
The wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. Yet I myself perceived that the same event happens to them all. So I said in my heart, as it happens to the fool, it also happens to me. And why was I then more wise? Then I said in my heart, this also is vanity, for there is no more remembrance of the wise than of the fool forever, since all that now is will be forgotten in the days to come. And how does a wise man die? As the fool. Therefore I hated life, because the work that was done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and grasping for the wind. Then I hated all my labor in which I had toiled under the sun, because I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool. Yet he will rule over all my labor in which I toiled and in which I have shown myself wise under the sun. This also is vanity. Therefore I turned my heart and despaired of all the labor in which I had toiled under the sun. For there is a man whose labor is with wisdom, knowledge, and skill. Yet he must leave his heritage to a man who has not labored for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. For what is man for all his labor and for the striving of his heart with which he has toiled under the sun? For all his days are sorrowful and his work grievous. Even in the night his heart takes no rest. This also is vanity. There is nothing better for a man than that he should eat and drink and that has soul that his soul should enjoy good in the labor. This also I saw was from the hand of God. For who can eat or who can have enjoyment more than I? For God gives wisdom and knowledge and joy to a man who is good in his sight. But to the sinner he gives the work of gathering and collecting that he may give to him who is good before God. This also is vanity and grasping for the wind. Thank you very much, Donna. I appreciate it. If you need to take a quick nap, just go for it after all that work. Okay, um, so chapter two, just as a brief review um, from last week, uh, Coaleth determined to search out all that was under the sun to see what would give him lasting fulfillment and satisfaction. Um, his first experiment, which was gaining more wisdom, is useless in, achi in achieving greater fulfillment because gaining more wisdom achieves the opposite. It increases sadness and sorrow. Um, so because of this, <clears throat> that's, so that's what we learned last week. And wisdom, I put it on your sheet, but wisdom, sort of a working definition, um, which I'm sure there'll be much debate over if we took the time to do it. But Working, working definition, wisdom is knowledge applied over time. So it's, a repeti it's repetitive and ever-expanding, not something that is arrived at and completed. And it is, you could think of it as skill and righteous living. It's a proficiency, not perfection. Those are some ways to think about it. It's a continual learning and growing it's limited primarily by the effort you put into it with, with the assumption that, you know, God is the ultimate source. <clears throat> okay, so verse 1, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure, enjoy yourself, but behold, this also was vanity. So finding that wisdom only increased his sorrow 
Koalath determines to give himself up to pleasure. And pleasure or madness and folly are the other side of wisdom. Does everyone have a sheet, by the way, before I continue? Marina, okay. You're welcome. Okay. So, we, and we talked about that last week, the, the um, pleasure and folly being the other side of wisdom. I'm going to read the first couple of verses here. I'll be reading out of um, Ginsberg's translation again. I, I then spake to my heart, come now, let me try thee with mirth, and thou shalt see pleasure. And lo, this too is vanity. Having, so this is from Ginsburg. Having found the acquisition of wisdom, unable to remove the depression and satisfy the longings of the soul, Koalath now appeals to his heart to try another experiment. He leaves the laboratory of knowledge and betakes himself to the bowers of pleasure. But alas, this too he finds unable to divert his sorrow and allay the cravings of his mind. <clears throat> The heart, or soul, being the seat of the intellect, is constantly addressed in this book. It is that in man which makes him dissatisfied with the things that are transient and long for things which produce solid happiness. Okay, so that's verse 1. Verse 2. To mirth, I said, thou actest foolishly, and to pleasure, what does she do? So the indulgence in pleasure and merriment, so far from gratifying the cravings of the soul, is a mere temporary frenzy. And laughter and pleasure are useless madness, is another way of, of thinking of it. So when he says of pleasure, what use is it, or what does she do, the idea is that pleasure is useless and does nothing to satisfy this craving of the soul. It's not useful in that domain. So if, if we compare that to verse 24... Chapter 2, verse 24, where he says, There is nothing better for man than to eat and drink and let his soul enjoy pleasure in his labor. It appears that he's contradicting himself. Uh, do you guys think that he is? Why or why not? Everyone understand the question? Yeah. Alex? I don't think he's contradicting himself because scripture doesn't Okay. How might you make sense of the two statements that appear to be contradictory? Got it. Yeah, Bridget. Yeah. 
Yes, absolutely. And that's the that's exactly the idea is that in terms of answering the question, does this thing, whether wisdom or pleasure, satisfy this craving in me, this longing in me to be satisfied and fulfilled, does it do that? No, it doesn't. It doesn't mean it's bad. It doesn't mean you should avoid it. It just means it doesn't ultimately satisfy you. Okay? And he said the same thing about wisdom earlier. And we know, obviously, he advocates for wisdom. So he's not against wisdom. It's just even wisdom does not satisfy that internal desire to be fulfilled and to stop this continual cycle that is maddening. Okay. <clears throat> Verse 3. I'm going to read this out of the ESV. I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. How old are you, Owen? 18. Okay. You might have to leave for this verse. <laughs> Just kidding. Okay. I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven and uh, during the few days of their life. Okay, so this verse could be broken down into five elements that I think are helpful to think about independently, and then we'll kind of put them back together um, with the and get a sense of the whole picture. So the first element, he sought with his heart. Two, how to cheer his body with wine, his heart still being guiding him with wisdom. Also, how to lay hold of folly. The fourth element, his purpose, is to see what is good for the children of man to do. And the fifth element is the concept of under heaven. Um, so I will repeat those as we go through and we'll look at them one by one. But the first one, or sorry, rather, the fifth one uh, is the first one that we'll look at. <laughs> so the fifth element. Um, <clears throat> under heaven. So we see one, this is the one of the controlling elements to coalesce experiment with pleasure. So when you think about searching all the things under heaven for, uh, to, to, to please yourself or to please the desires of your body, what are some, some things that come to mind probably you don't want to talk about, but he's really expanding it beyond, you know, drunken orgies or something. Like, that's not what he's talking about. And we'll see that in the text. Um, but <clears throat> this is one of those controlling elements, the idea that it's all done under heaven. And so from Barak's book, um, he, uh, when referencing the phrase under heaven, he said it occurs only three times in the book. And in all three occurrences, it appears that Solomon speaks indirectly of God's involvement. So in chapter 1, verse 13, Solomon uses his God-given wisdom to examine all that human beings do in the task that God gives them. And in 2, 3, which is our verse here, Solomon again engages his God-given mind to investigate pleasure 
in order to see what God has prepared people to do during their lifetimes. So this experiment is conducted with the understanding that God is overall. He's recognizing God's sovereignty in his life. Um, that's the fifth element. The fourth element, which is also another controlling element, and when I say controlling element, I mean an element of his experiment or search that shows you that the pleasure that he's seeking is contained within certain boundaries, okay? Um, this, the second controlling element to his experiments with pleasure is his stated goal. The cheering with wine and the laying hold of folly is governed by the goal of seeing what is good for others to do. This limits his free reign of pleasure quite a bit. I'll give you an example. Let's say that you have kids in your home and they're there with you and you're going to enjoy some wine. And your goal is to set an example for them of how to do this in a God-honoring way. So let's hear from you guys some ideas of how this might limit the extent to which you enjoy the wine. Probably limits the amount, okay? Any other ways? Okay. You could limit it by not doing it at all. Sure. But let's say you do have some, because that's what we're discussing here. How might it limit it? Like the amount, it's probably, you know, maybe the best answer, or the amount in a given period of time, right? You're, you're going to be slowly enjoying it. You're not going to be um, your, your goal is different than, hey, I'm going to drink so much that I, you know. Yes? Well, the, you, could, you could demonstrate that the purpose of drinking it is not a vehicle towards intoxication, but it's a beverage. Yes. There you go. You could enjoy it as a beverage, as any other pleasure, and not seeking to get intoxicated. Absolutely. So, Scott? But it is to have an effect. Ecclesiastes 10.19 is to gladden. Yeah, absolutely. And, and he's not, of course, he's not advocating not having any wine, right? But what we're talking about is the controlling agent right now, okay? Is that his goal in drinking the wine is to find out what's good for others to do. Okay, so in our example here, the idea is that you're enjoying it, you're enjoying the wine, but you're doing it in a way that sets an example for your children, okay? You're unlikely to get drunk in that circumstance, you're unlikely to guzzle it and try and get intoxicated, right? Donna, I'm sure you have a lot of experience here, go ahead. Ah, well, what do you have to contribute then? Oh, you were going to say it, Donna. Well, let's try and stay on target here because that, 
Because we're, we're talking about like the controlling element here, which is that um, it's Koalath does it with a purpose, okay? His purpose is not simply to enjoy it, but with the larger goal of then setting an example to find out what's good for children to do, or sorry, for the children of God to do. So Jacob, yeah. um, I think another thing would be to discuss that all alcohol is not the same. You might note that this is a strong drink versus this is a weaker wine. And so that would put a limit on the drinking. Um, sure. In, in um, well, just in a controlled way. Sure. So, I mean, that's another variation of a similar theme we've talked about, which is how much alcohol do you consume over a given period of time? It might be that one drink is less or more um, alcoholic than another, and that's going to affect how much you have. Sure. Fair enough. Um, without going on any more tangents, Dr. Steve, do you have something you wanted to contribute? It's a wild tangent. Okay. We'll skip it for now then. Okay, so back to the first aspect, and we'll get back to this discussion later. Uh, don't worry, this is a fun discussion. I just want to make sure we have all the elements to the verse before we start just throwing out our opinions, which aren't as interesting as what God has to say. <clears throat> okay, so the first element to this verse is he searched with his heart, that idea. And I'd like to read... Ginsburg again here on this point. Having given us summarily the result of his experiment with pleasure in verses 1 and 2, Koaleth now details some particular instances of the pleasure by which he vainly sought to remove the depression from his mind and secure lasting happiness. He conferred and resolved with his heart for the reason given in verse 1 to indulge in banqueting and pleasure and thus try to satisfy the cravings of the soul. Okay, that's the first element of, to the verse, him searching with his heart. The second and third elements, how to cheer his body with wine and lay hold of folly, how does he qualify in this verse alone, how does he qualify cheering his body with wine? Owen? Yeah, his, his heart's still guiding him with wisdom. And let's look at verse 9 real quick. Owen, you want to read the, the, that verse real quick, chapter 2, verse 9? Oh, yeah. Do you have a microphone? Thanks, Owen. I always forget about that. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. Yep. So that's at the end of his pleasure quest, if you will. And um, <laughs> so wisdom was with him at the beginning, and wisdom is with him at the end. Okay? You could not say that if you're going on a drunken bender, right? Um, that's the opposite of wisdom. So... What he's talking about here is enjoying these pleasures always within the confines of his wisdom guiding him. And that's an important element. Okay. 
in verse 3, I had a question here. We kind of already addressed it, but how does this restrict the cheering of his body with wine? It's very similar to what we talked about earlier, so it might be it limits it. Um, but what do you think he means there? What do you think he means by his mind, his heart was being guided by his wisdom as he sought to cheer his body with wine? Let's try and answer that in a general sense, not our advocations for what people might do. Scott, uh, microphone, please. So as I read this, it's kind of reading like a hobby. You don't grow vineyards because you want to get drunk. You won't grow vineyards because you want to try different kinds of wine and experience all that it has to offer. Yeah. Yep. So exactly. So the okay. Thank you. So he's limiting it in the sense of rest, or in that his time is not just taken up in drinking the stuff, but he's actually cultivating vineyards, he's planting them, he's learning about different types, he's trying those, then he's probably going back and mixing things. He's, so his goal is different than intoxication. Yeah? Okay, we'll move on. We'll, we can come back to more of this when we get closer to the end. Um, okay, so the ESV restricts this to wine, as we saw in the verse, right? He's, um, I, I would, I, let me make one more point before we move on on the wine deal. He's not giving up control to the pleasure. I think that's an important element. He remains in control. He remains wise throughout. So he never gives up control to the, to the wine. And I think that then, of course, limits in the most severe way how he's enjoying it, right? It's definitely limited. Okay, so the ESV restricts it to wine, but I really do prefer Ginsburg's translation because it seems to fit the pleasures enumerated by Coaleth in verses 4 to 10 much better. So let me read that, and um, we'll see what it says. <clears throat> I resolved with my heart to draw my body with pleasure, my mind guiding with wisdom, and to lay hold on folly, till I should see what is good for the sons of men, which they should do under heaven the numbered days of their lives. So Ginsburg broadens the idea to include all pleasures, not simply wine, and merriment, and indeed this fits the list of pleasures in verses 4 to 10. Um, so let me see, his heart still guiding him with wisdom. I'm going to read a quote here. This one's a little academic sounding, but we'll, we'll try and pare it down when I'm, when I'm done reading, okay? All right. My mind guiding with wisdom. Coaleth resolved to draw his body, as it were, with the alluring cor cords of pleasure, determined that his passion should not be wildly let loose, but that wisdom, by her prudent guidance in the selection of earthly gratifications, should hold the reins and restrain the passions from running riot. 
This explanation is evident from verse 9, which Owen just read. The words, my heart guiding with wisdom, are parenthetical, as is evident from to lay hold, which together with to draw depends upon I resolved, meaning that he's resolving to lay hold of and to draw, and parenthetically to that, he's being guided by his wisdom. The the expression heart, possessing the faculty of thinking, judging, is here more properly rendered mind and stands in opposition to body. So the idea is that his mind, using wisdom, is controlling the pleasures of his body that he's seeking to lay hold of. Does that make sense? Okay. To guide is evidently designed to carry out the figure begun with to draw. It was not to be a blind drawing into every pleasure, but guided by vigilant prudence. That's his rendering of it. Okay. <clears throat> so just as with the wine in the ESV, how does his mind guiding with wisdom restrict his drawing of his body with pleasure? Makes sense. So with wine, we're very eager to jump on the bandwagon and say, oh, we shouldn't do it. Okay, that's your choice. But that's probably not the choice with all pleasures, right? And that's really what he's talking about here. So um, what are some, or let me say it this way. How does his mind guiding his wisdom here restrict his drawing of his body with pleasure? Yeah, Bridget? Yeah. Yep. Sure. So you're constantly paying attention, keeping aware in your mind of what you're doing, and allowing your mind to kind of govern and control what actions you're taking, what how far you're going in these pleasures. So I just perhaps it would be good to say. We're talking about pleasures that are non-sinful pleasures in and of themselves. It sort of goes without saying, but we're not talking about pleasures that are inherently sinful. Okay. So what are some things in our lives currently that fall into this category? Let's say alcohol is one of them. Okay. Food another one entertainment, entertainment. yep like consumerism, in general. consumerism buying stuff yep comfort, comfort. okay alex um, not shaving Yep, absolutely. And getting, so let me repeat that since you didn't grab the microphone and I forgot as well. The pleasure that you take in the toil, um, that you, your work, 
the things that you're doing, house projects, stuff at work, whatever it is, the pleasure that you take in that. You don't want to become too dependent on that either. Okay? Um, games, sports, any enjoyable, non-sinful thing. Getting your hair done. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Miss something. Because um, we're looking at how Solomon said, also my wisdom remained with me at the end of uh, verse 9. In light of all the pleasures that he has listed. We're really looking at verse 3. Sorry. I just brought it in to show you that the wisdom stayed with him from the beginning to the end. We haven't really looked at the middle part yet. Okay, so we're just looking at the example of the wine, not the whole list of other things that he tried. Well, so what I'm. We are looking at the whole rest of it, which is, I think, what Coalesce, or what Ginsburg does a great job of highlighting. Because I was just curious if we're including all of the list of pleasures. He made the caveat that it would be non-sinful uh, pleasures, but Solomon does include in there all of his concubines, which is clearly not how God created the world to be. He listed them as pleasures, and I was just wondering how that meshes with... Um, the understanding you're drawing from the verses where he's referring to moderation and non-sinful pleasures. I was just curious how that portion fit in there. So without going on a, like a discussion about this, I'll just say I don't think that having concubines is necessarily a sinful thing for Solomon to have. He's never rebuked for that. He's never, like his, uh, his father, David, also his great sin was uh, stealing Uriah's wife and killing Uriah. It was not all of his multiple wives or concubines either. So if we could just uh, like leave that topic as um, you could further think about that, but for now, I think it's, it's safe to say, even though th th that's not something that Solomon was sinful for Solomon. In the context of Ecclesiastes here, it's not a sinful Period. I don't think it's sinful for him to have concubines. Like, that's not a command he had. He was never told he could only have one wife. There are dangers for having multiple wives, for sure, and they drew his heart away from God. That's absolutely true. But I don't see any command given to Solomon where he could only have one wife and no concubines. So I, I understand that might be a topic that maybe requires further discussion. Um, but for now, let's just say, table it and say, okay, for the purposes of our discussion, do you see anything else there that you're saying is inherently sinful? I don't, I don't, and so I would tend to sort of lump in the concubines. I, I also don't see him saying about anything about his wives. So, so all that to say, Janelle, I might be wrong on that. It could take further discussion, but barring that concubine thing, 
I don't think there's anything else in this list that is inherently sinful. So I think it's safe, and we could still learn from it, even if you think later on, hey, concubines or having concubines were sinful for Solomon. I think the application and ideas that we could get from looking at this list as if it were non-sinful would still be useful. Does that make sense? Yeah, I did just a moment ago make that point. I agree with you. Any of these things could draw your heart away from the Lord. And that's ultimately what, I, what we're getting to, is that all of these things, and I'm going to just continue to say all these things, Janelle will just, in your mind, say, except for concubines, that's fine. But all these things can draw your heart away from the Lord, and that's, the, that's part of the danger. That's why he addresses this entire quest, if you will, with the idea that his mind is controlling his behavior. Okay. Um, okay, so when, when we enjoy these things, which we mentioned, uh, watching TV, movies, entertainment, house projects, work, games, sports, consumerism, whatever it is, um, when we enjoy these things, it's good to realize that they're not sinful in and of themselves, but can become so without us being aware. Therefore, we should have a plan in place ahead of time. This is why it's good to think of these things as we would think of drinking wine. We should have some boundaries set before we start in on the fun and get sucked in. So, two verses I'd like to read that deal with this that could help guide us as we approach pleasurable things in our lives. And again, it might be food, it might be tobacco, alcohol, whatever, eating out. Okay, sitting around doing nothing. 1 Corinthians 6.12 Um Mr. It's meandering, right? Would you be so kind as to read um, 1 Corinthians 6.12? And Alex, would you be so kind as to read 1 Corinthians 10.23? 1 Corinthians 6.12. All things are lawful to me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Okay. So before we read the next one, he's saying these things are lawful for him, right? These behaviors that he's, going, that he's doing. But what are the guiding principles that Paul brings out there? I mean, he implies it, but... What are the two guiding things? He's saying it's lawful, but not helpful. Okay. And what's the other one? Not dominated. Yeah, he's not enslaved to it. It doesn't dominate him. Okay, those are some good things to think about. As, you're, as Bridget said, as we do things in our lives that we enjoy, we should be asking ourselves, is this helpful? 
is this thing dominating me? So if I'm, you know, 100 pounds overweight, maybe food's dominating me. Maybe if I'm getting drunk when I drink, the alcohol is dominating me, right? Maybe if I come home from work and I sit down and watch three hours of sports, and that's a big waste of time, maybe that thing is dominating me, whatever it is, okay? Good things to think about. Alex? First Okay, so which two, two controlling elements are there that Paul's looking at controlling his behavior by? Charlotte, did you hear it? Did you hear what she just read? Yeah. Okay. Okay, would you please read it again? All things are lost. Okay, so the question, Charlotte, is what do you think um, Paul there is using to control his behavior? He's saying, okay, it's lawful for me, but is it... It's helpful. Yeah, is it helpful? So should I do this thing? It's, it's lawful for me to do, so it, it's okay. On the surface, it seems okay, but the next question is, is this a helpful thing to do? Is this useful? And what's, what was the other element? Do you remember? Not all things build up. Yeah, not all things build up. So that's another question when you're approaching something. I'm going to spend two hours sitting on the couch. It's lawful for me. Does this build up? Is this building someone else up? Is this helpful? Right? Those are things to think about. Okay. And if your answer is no, probably not, maybe get up and do something else. Okay, so what are the three guiding principles then that we can take from 1 Corinthians verses to govern our behavior? What are the three questions we could ask ourselves? Put it that way. Owen. Is it lawful? Okay, so we'll take four questions then. That's the first question, which you're absolutely right. Is it lawful? If it's not lawful, don't do it, period. In any quantity. <laughs> absolutely. Okay. Uh, Ezri. Is it building up? Is it building up? And that is in the context of building others up, right? Is it building others up? Is the thing I'm doing building others up? Is it helping other people? Okay. Is it helpful? Is it helpful? Thank you, Charlotte. So, is it helpful? Does it build others up? And this is all just for things that are lawful. Okay, so just because it's lawful doesn't mean you get a free pass and you do it all you want. The idea is, okay, it's lawful, it's passed the first check. The next check is, is this a helpful thing? Is this building others up? And what's the final one? Is it dominating me, right? So I uh, smoked probably for 10 years, uh, cigarettes, and um, I guess I should clarify. <laughs> and uh, that was the verse that convicted me that I needed to quit smoking was that it was dominating me because I couldn't not do it. So I'm, I was enslaved to it. So that's another thing we need to check 
as we're doing things, regularly going back and looking, is this thing controlling me? Do I have to do this or I get angry or upset, you know, when it, when it disappears, right? And that might be your morning coffee. If you're a jerk in the morning before you have your coffee, that thing is controlling you. It's controlling your behavior, right? So um, good thing to think about. Bridget. Could we get her a microphone? Just, I guess if we make it a habit, it'll be easier. Like smoking. Oh. <laughs> um, with the building others up, I feel like that one's a little tricky or just more abstract maybe because there's things, like, I'll just give an example. I might have time during the day that is like guarded downtime for me to kind of regroup, refresh, so that I can better serve my family later. Yeah. But that could be selfish. I could yeah. take that and start hoarding it. Like, yeah. don't interrupt mommy because this is my downtime right. to serve you. But, you know, that's, anyway, it can go either way. But Yeah, no, you're right. And it's, that. I guess it's good to clarify, too, that um, it's not like everything you do has to do all th three of those, right? It's not like it all has to build up, it all has to be helpful, and it all has to not dominate. Although I imagine it would. Actually, I think it probably would. But nevertheless, it could dominate you, like you're saying, to the point where you, if you didn't have that alone time, you got irritated and angry and sinful in your behavior. Yeah, then that's a good indicator to you, huh, this thing is, might be getting control of me, right? But yeah, absolutely, we all need, I mean, rest is a thing that God built into creation. It's not wrong to rest, right? It's a good thing to rest. We should rest. But if we're not working because we're resting, that's a problem, right? So it's a balance. It's wisdom. There's not like a command. Mm-hmm. Okay? So to review, what things are presented in verses 1 to 3, back in Ecclesiastes, that govern coalesce experiment with pleasure? What are the three controlling elements that he put in place? Owen? His wisdom was guiding him, right? Absolutely. And controlled the entire thing from beginning to end. Yep. Alakai. How to lay hold on folly. Okay, so the question is, what did Koaleth put in place to control or limit or govern his experiment with folly and pleasure? So one of the things is his heart was um, being controlled by wisdom, or his mind, the wisdom of his mind was controlling his body, his actions. Remember that it was it was the some of the elements of the verse. Yeah, Scott. It had to be gratifying gratifying to the flesh. Say that again. It had to be gratifying to the flesh. I mean, that's one of the controls. No, you're right that that is the pleasure part, and I'm saying what it was a goal. It was a goal, absolutely. That was his purpose, but. In some sense, 
but he controlled the d- gratification of the flesh in certain ways. How did he do that in the verse? But you're absolutely right. He, one of the controlling elements was it had to be satisfying to the flesh. Absolutely. That was the whole point, right, in some sense. It was, hey, do these things satisfy me? Does, is this going to fulfill me? That's his ultimate purpose. But what were some ways that he sought to control the gratification of his flesh from getting out of control? Let's put it that way. Are these all in verses 1 to 3? They're all in verse 3. Jen? Yeah, exactly. So his purpose, another purpose in gratifying the desires of the flesh was to do it in a way that he would know what was good for the children of man to do. Okay, so that was an underlying principle in his search. That's in verse 3. Okay? Yeah, it's under heaven, meaning he recognizes God's watching, in a sense. Right? He's recognizing God's sovereignty over it. Okay? And those are, those are some pretty good guiding principles for us as well, right? To recognize God's sovereignty, that he sees what we're doing. Um, and it, that see what's good for the children of man is not terribly different from building others up, in a sense. Okay? Okay. Um, okay, now to the pleasures themselves, I'll read the list. Actually, I want to read First Kings 7, 1 to 12. First Kings 7, 1 to 12. Okay. This, this is Solomon building his palace. Solomon was building his own house 13 years, and he finished his entire house. He built the house of the forest of Lebanon. Its length was 100 cubits. It's like 150 feet. What is a basketball court? 100 feet? Probably. No, it's not 140. I think it's like 94 feet, let's say. So let's call it 100 feet. You can Google it. Yeah. 150 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet high. Ooh, put you down. Huh. 150 feet. How, how wide? 75? Okay, I know that. I, my question was, how long? How big is a basketball court? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I was trying to get a comparison uh, in your minds. I think a basketball court is about 94 feet long and 50 feet wide. Is that right? Okay, so think of this. You think of the gym, okay? And his house was one and a half gyms long and one and a half gyms wide. Not very big. 
What? Not very big. Well, it's 11,000 square feet, which is, seems pretty big to me. Um, and it's also, so l let me keep reading. And it was, uh, let me see, its breadth was 50 cubits and its height 30 cubits, which is like 45 feet. So that's something like six stories, five or somewhere between five and six stories. So it's, you know, seems pretty big. Um, and it was built on four rows of cedar pillars. I'm going to read this and just remember, this is him seeking pleasure. This is his type of pleasure. This is what he's doing. Um, with cedar beams on the pillars, and it was covered with cedar above the chambers that were on the 45 pillars, 15 in each row. There were window frames in three rows and window opposite window in three tiers. So you think of this hallway almost with windows just on either side for I'm a, three tiers. I'm guessing is three stories, whatever those are. All the doorways and windows had square frames. The window was was opposite window in three tiers. And he made the hall of pillars. Its length was 50 cubits and its breadth 30 cubits. There was a porch in front with pillars and a canopy in front of them. And he made the hall of the throne where he was to pronounce judgment, even the hall of judgment. It was finished with cedar from floor to rafters. His own house where he was to dwell in the other court back of the hall was of like workmanship. Solomon also made a house like this hall for Pharaoh's daughter, whom he'd taken in marriage. All these were made of costly stones, cut according to measure, sawed with saws, back and forth, even from the foundation to the coping and from the outside to the great court. The foundation was of costly stones, huge stones, stones of eight and ten cubits. That's like 15 feet. It's pretty big, a couple stories. And above were costly stones cut according to measurement and cedar. The great court had three courses of cut stone all around and a course of cedar beams. So had the inner court of the house of the Lord and the vestibule of the house. Okay, so in his list of pleasures in chapter 2 here, I'll just read it real quick. He, he says that house gets described as I built houses. Okay, so when he says he planted vineyards and he planted gardens and parks, he's not talking about like the Indianola Park with some swing sets, right? Think more Versailles with fountains and statues and sculpted areas to walk in and manicured stuff. I mean, it's much more along those lines. And he built that as a way of enjoying himself, okay? So as I read this, just kind of think more in those terms than everyday terms. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. 
Okay. What works constitute coalesce search for pleasure here? Okay, concubines from the young gentleman on the side. Okay. What else? Great houses, like big projects, right? These are huge projects. His house took, what was it, 13 years or 15? 13 years. That's a big project. So vineyards and gardens and that's a lot of planning and meticulous thinking. But he finds pleasure in that, okay? It's very constructive as well, right? You know, he's not, this is not the, the idea of someone just in dissipated debauchery, right? There's someone who's working and enjoying that work and finding pleasure in it, okay? So what, what things here are included that we wouldn't normally classify as pleasure when we initially think of pleasure? Open it up. Not to open another can of worms, but uh, slaves. Slaves? Yeah. No, I mean, you think about it, that's, that's more like probably an employee these days. But the idea is that you have all these people who are able to do the work, but that's a lot of organizing and planning and thinking and how do you motivate, you know, all kinds of stuff. Whipping people is probably not the best way to motivate, despite corporate practice to the contrary. Okay. Scott? It can be effective. It can be, but only for so long. Kind of increases your turnover rate. Okay. So what are some equivalents for us today? So, for example, um, let's take his house. What are some equivalents for us? We're not going to build a house like that, but what might we do? Build a tower. Build a tower. Okay. We might build, we might just do house projects, right? We might, yeah, Marina? Right, so in a way, and we'll end on this, but in a way, if he did it with all of this money and did all these grand things and still didn't find pleasure in it, it's going to be true of us in all of our small projects on our house or our gardening or little rose beds or whatever, Right. Those are all pleasurable things. They're not going to give us satisfaction in the same way that all of his projects didn't give him satisfaction. Okay? Any questions before we... Yeah, Bridget. Yeah, absolutely. And we didn't get to the end of it, unfortunately, today, but we'll, we'll get to some of that stuff uh, next week, Lord willing. If you have any other questions or troubled by anything I said, <laughs> come up after and we can talk. My pleasure. <laughs>